Let's continue worship with a reading from Psalm 24:1. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it in it upon the rivers. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church. Please say hello to someone as you have a seat. And middle schoolers, you can go to your class. Good morning, everyone. I appreciate you commenting on my age, letting everybody know that I'm elder. Just because I'm older than you doesn't mean that you got to throw it out there like that. I don't know what's up with this cord either. It's There we go. How we doing? All right. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Um... If you've not met me, my name is Josh. If I've not met you, I'll learn your name later. Um, honestly, I'm excited to have the opportunity to share this morning. Uh, so we're going to open with a scripture passage, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive in, okay? So in Genesis, we've got a little bit of the creation story here. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to have come into your house this morning, to have lifted our voices and praise and worship and adoration for you and who you are, Lord. Uh, we're here for you. We're here to give to you that which you've given to us, Lord. We, we exalt your name. Um, we pray that you would be glorified in this place and in these words. In Jesus' name, amen. So if I were to ask, and it's okay, this can be interactive, so um, if I were to ask, what is the first sin of mankind, what would you say? Yeah, eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God said not to, right? Pretty clear. All right, good. You paid attention in Sunday school. Number two, what was the second sin? Oh, lying about it. Now, see, we're, we're getting into the deeper cuts here. Okay, good. A lot of people might say murder, right? Cain, Cain killed Abel, and, and that was the second one. Um, but, but the second time, at least as I read the scripture, that the word sin is used, um, it's actually in that, that passage that we opened with, right? And so God calls to Cain that he is sinned, or he says, beware, sin is crouching at your door, um, and you must overcome it before he kills Abel, his brother, Right? Now, it could be, hey, he knows there's some foreshadowing here. God knows all things, and he's like, hey, man, you're about to kill your brother. <laughs> Don't do that. You, you might not want to do that. We might call that sin. Uh, hey, listen, the Ten Commandments had not come out yet, and thou shalt not kill hadn't been written. So maybe, you know, maybe there was confusion. Maybe it thought it was okay to kill people. No. Um, but, but it says in verse, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. So I think it may not be too much of a stretch to say that the issue that God saw and the whole reason that he did not regard Cain's offering the way he regarded Abel's 
is that you see the difference in what they brought and how they brought what they brought, okay? So it says that Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, right? So, so Abel brought like the best, right? He, he said, man, this is the firstborn of my flock. It's the first fruits, the first thing that God, and he recognizes that it's not of his own hand that he did it. He recognized that it's the blessing of the Lord. And he's going to give back to God as a spirit of gratitude and say, man, God, you blessed me. Here's the very best of your blessing back to you. And, and it doesn't say with, with a, a, a huge amount of detail, but it kind of indicates that like Cain grew a bunch of stuff and Cain took some, right? It doesn't say that Cain brought the first fruits or that Cain brought the best. It said Cain was like, oh man, look at all this stuff. Uh, oh, by the way, God, like, hey man, here's... Here's some fruit. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. And, and God took issue with that. God took issue with, with Cain's heart and the way, that he, the way that he handled that, right? You might even say that Cain withheld his best from God, right? If he didn't offer the first fruits, the first fruits is the best part. He kind of kept that for himself. And then he said, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you my leftovers. It seems that God has a problem with that and that God cautions Cain about that. And I think that it's Cain's response to God's cautioning that actually leads him to kill his brother, right? If, if you're a, you have a child and they, they're, they're touching the hot stove and you say, hey, hey, don't, don't touch that. Don't touch that. It's going to burn you. Have you ever seen a child be defiant and go, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, and then they get burned? I think that's kind of what Cain did here, right? God says, hey, whoa, whoa, be careful. Think about what you're about to do here. The, the, your heart about this giving thing is not right. <clears throat> and God judges between Cain and Abel. And, and what Cain actually does is he rejects the admonition of the Lord. He rejects God saying, hey man, the way you're giving isn't right. And it's out of that rejection then he opens up the door of his heart for the enemy to come in and plant the seeds of jealousy and envy and murder against his brother. It's serious stuff, right? Aren't you glad you came to church? Wow, we're good sermon, all right. No. So, again, I think it's Cain's first sin, and probably the greater sin was that he withheld from God what was right. And so if you've not guessed it by this point today, we're going to talk about giving. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this. Um, and, and let's be honest. Like, I know we're in church. Can, can we do that? Can we be honest in church? Um, it's a touchy subject. Uh, but let me challenge you. Do you have an issue with teaching on finance in church because of what God says and what the Bible says or because of what you've seen men do sort of under the banner of God? And it's probably more what you've seen men do, right? It's probably less. If you've got an issue with God, you've got to take it up with him, right? But the same God who saved your soul that we were just singing to is the same God who says some stuff about giving, and you're going to have to reckon with that. Um, so I'd like to tell you a story. And if you spent any time in church at all, you've probably experienced some of this yourself on one side or the other side of this, right? So maybe you grew up in a church that didn't talk about money at all. Like they didn't even put baskets out. They didn't pass the plate. Like maybe there was a box in the back of the room and you had to know like the secret handshake to figure out where to put the money if you were going to tithe at all, right? Or maybe you grew up in a church where they passed the offering plates, counted it, and said, yes, not enough, pass them again, right? <laughs> and, uh, 
Y'all, I've been in services where they put, they put it all literally in a pile and, and invited people to dance down to the front, you know, with their offering. And, you know, I'll become more indignified than this. And here's the deal. Part of it made you uncomfortable because it was too strict. And part of it made you uncomfortable because it was too open. And both of those things were where men decided it ought to be this way. And neither of them were ex expressed in Scripture. Okay? So let's get outside what of our preconceived notions are about this stuff. And let's get into what the Scripture says about it. So my wife, Anna, and I, we met in church when we were eight years old. And uh, sometimes a good thing, sometimes not a good thing. Um, <laughs> the good thing is, you know everybody's family and all their junk and all their dirt. The bad news is, you know everybody's family and all their junk and all their dirt, right? So, um, but we grew up in one of those churches that was kind of like the hidden box with the secret handshake to, to get into offering and tithing, right? And so we, we got married and, you know, the, we, we said, hey, as a married couple, we're going to go to kind of a, a new church. We had met some people that were straight off the mission field, and, you know, in talking to them and hanging out with them. We're like, man, this is pretty cool. So we went there. Um, and turns out that these pastors were from a, a doctrinal vein, I guess, um, that, that was very, very heavy on giving and all this kind of stuff. And to us, it was revolutionary, right? We, we'd never seen or heard some of these scriptures. And so to, to hear things like, hey, God has things to say about money and, and God instructs you to do that. And there's maybe even some promises tied to, to doing some of those things. That's pretty cool. Like what young married couple starting out isn't like, yeah, I could use some financial advice, right? And it's, and it's from God, so what could go wrong? Well, what did go wrong was that as the church grew and as they leaned more and more and more into that doctrine, um, it, it got out of bounds a little bit, right? And so you've probably heard some of these things, you know, people call it the, the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth, name it, claim it. There's a whole bunch of uh, things that fall under that, and I'm not here to disparage any doctrine or, or any, any segment of the faith, right? All of these things, we talk about the, the full counsel, right, of the things of the Lord, and so it's important to know those things. But just like we talked a couple weeks ago about the Holy Spirit, and some people have taken some of that potentially out of bounds, and we go, well, I'm not sure that that really aligns with Scripture, I think that's happened with finances in areas. And people take something that's in Scripture, and instead of making Jesus Christ crucified and, and us having eternal life in him, the gospel, they actually elevate a secondary doctrinal issue over that, and that's like the main flag that they fly. And whether that's the Holy Spirit or whether that's you know, financial blessing or whether that's you know, anything else you can imagine, I think we can all agree that Christ and him crucified is the flag that we need to fly. Now... Discipleship and instruction on secondary doctrinal issues. Wow, that was a lot of words. The other stuff that's beside Jesus and him crucified is also important. It'd be good for us to explore that. So that's what we're going to do. Um, so let's take a look. We're going to start with our first scripture. And Genesis 14, 18 through 20. And Melchizedek, that's how I've heard it pronounced. Sorry if I got it wrong. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High. So he blesses Abram, and then he blesses God, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. 
So this is sort of the first piece in scripture other than the Cain and Abel where you see the, the notion of a tithe brought up. A tithe just literally means a tenth. Cool. Um, so the context of this, Abraham, ate, sorry, see, I did it. I knew I was going to do it. I knew I was going to do it. I knew I was going to do it. Abram, who God later renames Abraham, same guy, right? And his nephew Lot have got so much stuff that they can't even like inhabit the same piece of ground anymore. Like their flocks are eating it all down to like nubs and they decide, hey, we, we can't even coexist or, or there's just too much, we got too much stuff. So they separate, right? So they separate, they go their separate ways. Um, it's kind of this interesting story where actually Abr- Abram lets Lot pick and Lot's like, yeah, I want the best stuff for me. <laughs> and Abram's kind of like, all right, well, you know, I'll, I'll take with the leftovers. Well, then Lot gets captured, right? So the kings in the area have this feud, and as part of their feuding, they capture Lot and his household and all his stuff and run off with it. Um, Abram's response is that he sends out 318 of, like, his ninja Navy SEAL dudes. Like, they're called the the, the men of his house is what they're called. So he's got, like, this private militia that he sends out, and he's like, yo, go get my nephew. And it's funny that, that these 318 dudes are able to completely overtake these armies that have been feuding. They bring back Lot, they bring back the household, they bring back all the goods. And um, it's in the bringing back of these goods that Abram takes. And it's not just Lot's stuff, like they take stuff that belong to the kings too, right? And Abraham takes a tenth of sort of the spoils of doing that, and he says, I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to give it to Melchizedek, the high priest of, of God Most High. Right? So that sort of scripturally sets up the foundation of this idea of tithing. Right? But again, if we look back in Genesis, the idea of giving to the Lord as gratitude for his blessing to us, right? that's, that's kind of where it all started. So another scripture here, Deuteronomy 8.18, says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. So both of these things sort of point to the why, right? If we're going to talk about the subject of giving, why? Why give? What, what for? What's the point? What well, seems at least based on these three first examples that it's an act of gratitude or worship to God who first gave to us, right? John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. Right? God takes that first action. So you might say then we, we should give because he first gave to us. Right? You see that parallel there? Does that make sense? So let's be really clear. We do not give to get. Okay? There's not some supernatural formula that we follow that somehow puts God Almighty in our debt. Like, all right, God, I gave. Now, now come on. Where's mine? That's not how this works. It is in response out of, out of a heart of gratitude, a heart of love that we give back to him. Um, but it is important to give, right? He gave to us, we have received, we've been the benefactors of God's goodness. Let's be his hands and feet in the earth. Let's give to the church. Let's give to people in need. Let's give to all these other, way, other people. So we've talked about, that's the why. Now let's talk, this is more nitty gritty here. The how, how should you give? Uh, now we get into some of our, what is it, churchianity or Christendom, right? And a lot of the stuff around this part of it, the how, what is it supposed to look like? What does it look like to give? Does it look like spinning and dancing your way to the front and putting it in a big pile? Does it look like hiding it in a box in the back with a secret handshake? 
And I think that's, that's where men get their, get their paws on stuff. And they say, well, it ought to be this way or it ought to be that way. And it's in the how we execute the stuff that, that preferences and paradigms start to enter the picture. So let's endeavor to be people of the book. Let's endeavor to hear what the Lord says in Scripture, and let's walk that out. Is that okay? So what does Scripture say about the how? Well, I would submit to you that first it says to give humbly and or anonymously. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Quick point there. Chris has made this point before, too. That word hypocrites, Jesus made that word up. And, and what it really translates to out of the Greek is, is actors, right? You think about you know, the, the, the Iliad and the Odyssey and all the Greek tragedies and, and the stories that were happening at that time. And they had the, I forget the thing, you know, the little the theater area in Rome, right, where they're putting on these plays. And that's what they call them, the actors, hypocrites. Jesus says, you're, you're actors, you're pretending, you're playing a part when you put a big show on in your giving. So hypocrites, sorry, I derailed there. Uh, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So when they get the praise of man, everybody says, good job, buddy, you gave. God says, that's it. Hope you liked it. <laughs> but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, that scripture, crafted and, you know, bundled up and, you know, bent like Plato by men, is how you get hidden boxes in the back. Now, does it say, when you give, like, make sure it's in a hidden box in the back? No, it doesn't say that, right? But the point here is, don't do it to get glory for yourself from other people. But I don't think everything has to be the old Pentecostal handshake. You guys know what that one is? You walk up with a 20 in your hand, and, hey, brother, how you doing? You just leave a little bit right there. <laughs> in other words, giving is not about us, okay? It's, an opportunity, it's not an opportunity to toot our own horn about how generous we are or how big a giver we are. Um, rather, it's about God and it's about others. Now, where have you heard that before? Something about love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So giving is a way to put some feet to the street of loving. Is that fair to say? All right. Point two about how to give. You should give abundantly. You should give cheerfully. And you should give missionally. What does missionally mean? Like on purpose, with a purpose, unto something, Right? So 2 Corinthians 9, 5 through 15, this is Paul here writing to the church at Corinth. He says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead, ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. It says exaction, I thought, I checked that. I wanted to say extraction. Sometimes giving, have you ever been in a church service where giving felt like an extraction? Like a dentist in your mouth with his flyers, like yanking a tooth out of your head. You know, preacher up here yanking the dollars out of your wallet. It's an extraction. But Paul says, hey, think about it ahead of time, right? It matters. Prepare it. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, wow, that's a lot of alls, right? All sufficiency in all things at all times. Do you think that God forgets about a part of your life to provide for you sufficiently? Like some sufficiency in some things, some of the time, maybe. No, that's not what it says, right? All sufficiency, all things, all times. It takes an element of faith to believe that, though, when you're stroking that last check for the month and you go, mm, it'll be a little bit short, right? Is your faith in the checkbook or is your faith in God? All right. Um, so as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteous endures forever. And he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seeds for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. What do we see there again? To people and to God, right? By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. That's interesting. There's, there's a tie together, right? In that your confession of the gospel of Christ is also tied to your submission in supporting the mission of the propagation of the gospel in the earth. So that whole missional giving element right there. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, first of all, Paul would have failed English class. Dude is the king of the run-on sentence. And it's like, and this, and parenthetical phrase, and over here, and over here, and two chapters later is the summation of the point he was making. So I apologize that that's kind of a long block. Here's the deal. At the beginning of the passage, Paul encourages the church at Corinth to go ahead and prepare their gift for some Macedonian missionaries who are going to be accompanying him, right? So giving is not an afterthought. It's not this embarrassing hush-hush thing in the early church. He says to give cheerfully, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So again, we're blowing holes in the black box in the back of the wall. It doesn't mean we can't give that way, but it shouldn't be hidden, right? It shouldn't be like this, shh, don't talk about it. But neither should it be, look everybody how much I'm giving, right? Can there be middle ground? Is it possible as humans to not be all in the left-hand ditch or all in the right-hand ditch? Can we keep the car in the middle of the road or are we just like, and smash? <laughs> Too often, though, that is how we live life, right? You're either all this way or all that way, and then we justify it because Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, so I'm going to spit. Well, that's in your faith. That's not in, in walking out things, okay? It is good to walk things out in balance, and it's okay to not proclaim wildly how much you're giving, but also not be so secretive about it that you're like, oh, Lord, somebody sold me, put my offering in the basket this morning, and I repent of the spirit of pride, and dear Jesus, <laughs> you don't have to do that either, right? <clears throat> okay. Um, number three. This is the painful one. Give sacrificially. So in Luke 21, 1 through 4, it says, Jesus looked up 
and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Now, again, let's remember balance here, okay? I have heard it said that if you are not giving yourself to the point where you can't pay your bills, you're not giving in faith. I'm sorry that some preacher might have said that to you. That's wrong. (laughs) Scripture says he who does not support his family is worse than an infidel, right? So it is important to take care of your family. But if taking care of your family means you're all getting eight Starbuckses every day, perhaps (laughs) you might ought to consider how sacrificially you're giving. Is that fair to say? So I can share from personal experience. There have been times in my life, and, and, and another one of these times was, was even recently. It was a couple months ago. The numbers didn't add up, right? Everybody in this room has dealt with whatever it is, inflation, in the last couple years, right? You know, stuff costs more. It's tough, tough to live. You're like, really, dude? You want me to give to the church? Well, yeah, because God says so. I mean, it's really kind of what it comes down to. Um, but here's the thing. There's been times when the numbers didn't add up, and financially, we as a family took a step of faith, and we said, Lord, we believe that you want us to give this way, so we're going to give this way. And I can't explain it except to say it's, it's supernatural, and, and God takes care of it. And all of a sudden, not only are you making it, but like there's extra somehow. And I think it's scriptural, too. Um, Paul reminds us in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 to not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 6, 25 through 33, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That's rhetorical. Jesus says, yes, you are of more value than the birds and the flowers. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You're not of more value than they. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows. Did, did God form you from, did God form mankind from the dust of the earth? Right? He knows that your body needs to eat. <laughs> and at least after Adam and Eve took the fruit in the garden, he knows you got to wear clothes. Before that, that was optional, but... Um, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So now that we've talked about the why and the how of giving, let's explore some of the promises that come with giving. 
And again, let me just reiterate, we're not in any way saying that God somehow owes us because we gave, right? This is not, these scriptures are not, I gave, therefore, um, but it's an edification, right? When, when you're in giving sacrificially, these are promises that you can sort of set your hope on and say, okay, Lord, I don't see in the natural how this is going to work out, but I know that your scripture says this, so I'm going to take a step of faith, and God gives us these promises sort of as a, a safety net, right? A comforting, like a warm blanket, like, hey, man, it's going to be all right. So Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That's pretty cool. Overflowing and bursting. Does God say, I'm going to fill it up enough to get you through the, the next season, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise? No. <laughs> he says, listen, listen if... if it's, it's in my power to do this, and I do it abundantly. Proverbs 10, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Malachi 3, 8 through 12, will a man rob God, and yet you're robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse for you're robbing me and the whole nation of you. Therefore, bring the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in your field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts." That's some good stuff. Did y'all hear that? Like, it's, it's the Bible. So again, if you take issue with that, that's cool. Take it up with God. He wrote it in the book. And if he didn't intend for us to read it, then he shouldn't have put it in there, right? These, all, these indicate that God is for us, right? Now, does that mean that we should all seek to be rich, fat, and happy? No, like Jesus said something about rich men and needles and camels or something, right? Everybody get that one? Okay. Do I need to say it? Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Again, it's about balance, right? <clears throat> and so if you say, God, I'm going to give because the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and I want to be rich, so I'm going to give so I can get rich, you're probably out of bounds, Okay, that's not what that is intended to be for. But if you say poverty is next to holiness, I don't know that that's exactly correct either, right? Again, God wants things to be bountiful and abundant for us. In a way, it's almost like he's restoring some element of, of that Garden of Eden, right? Where Adam and Eve were in perfect communion with him. And God says, look, it's all here for you. I created you out of the dust of the earth because I love you. I want to be with you. I have good, good things in store for you. And he wants us to have an experience where instead of laboring and toiling and shaking our fist and cursing God because life is difficult, instead the difficulty turns us to him. Because he's been good to us, we turn to him. We say, God, you're the only thing in this world that's good. He provides for us like a father. And it's in his nature and character to provide abundantly for us. Y'all remember that story where Jesus fed the 5,000, right? They're, they're out in the wilderness, and the disciples are like, yo, Jesus, these people are hungry, and they're looking like they might get mad and start a riot. 
tell him go away and get some food. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you feed him. And they're like, wait, what? Us feed him? I don't have anything. What did God do? So the disciples, they, they took a step of faith, right? They went around, hey man, you got any food? How about, no, do you, do you got any food, right? And they, they find, they find this, this little boy, it says. Dude, this cord is just nuts. They find this little boy, and he's got what? He's got five loaves and two fish, right? And I think loaves, you know, like when you look at the felt board Bible story version, those loaves are like this, right? But unless bro was carrying a huge backpack, they were probably like this kind of loaves, like dinner rolls. So like five dinner rolls and some fish. Now I'm interpreting scripture, I apologize. Doesn't say. Um, but I don't think he had truckloads of bread. Can we agree with that? He didn't have truckloads of bread. So Jesus thanks and breaks and they distribute it. And it says, in the scripture, it says 5,000 men plus women and children. So there's more than 5,000 people there, first of all. Second of all, what happened at the end? It says they all ate to full and what? 12 baskets left over. Like, you go to your grandma's on Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, and there's like, I don't know if there's, there's a lot of leftovers. There may not be 12 basketfuls left over. It depends on how Nana cooks, right? But... God didn't say, all right, you, you get a pinch, and you get a pinch, and you get a pinch. Satiate your hunger for just now. No, God is like, look, man, here's my heart. Here's how I am for you. I'm going to take this. I'm going to prove to you that I'm God. I'm going to multiply it. And why, why, God, why did there need to be 12 basketfuls? Like, isn't that wasteful? What does that do to the earth, God? <laughs> God's like, I don't care. I invented it, and I'll figure it out. He does it to show his heart, right? He says, I love you guys. I'm for you. And I've got so much that it's just nothing for me to have 12 baskets. There wasn't 12 basketfuls to start with. There's 12 basketfuls left over, right? Okay. So as we close this morning and prepare to go back into the world, back to our daily lives, back to just some of the junk for some of us that, that, that is difficult, right? Let's keep in mind the nature of the God that we serve. The God who loves us, he gave his only begotten son that we would be redeemed. And then he gives bountifully to us. Let's rejoice in that. And then let's give generously to others, to the church, to missions in the same way he's given generously to us. All right, this is the part of our service where we're gonna come to the Lord's table. We're gonna take communion.